you know, it's kind of funny, the wolf of the Wasatch or the lone wolf or whatever, you know, has come up recently in the last, right. you know, but I do go out alone. You know, that's what I love about snowboarding. Yeah. Whether you now, whether you should, don't take this as advice that you should go alone too. Welcome to Dark Starts, your backcountry splitboarding podcast. In episode 17, we talk with Maxwell Morrow of Carter Snowcraft. Max learned at an early age that he'd rather carve epic lines than grab huge air. As one of the pioneers of the sport, he shares his vast knowledge with many on the skin tracks and off. So go ahead and find your Zen spot and let's listen and learn about gear, safety, and the evolution of splitboarding. Let's drop in with Maxwell Morrow. So, Maxwell, what are you up to today? Hey guys, uh, good afternoon. I'm calling from the Riverside Shores of the Payette River in Idaho. Nice. Sweet. I want to say thanks a lot for doing this, taking the time out of your trip and uh, talking to us today about splitboarding in the dead of summer. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty hot. Yeah, the dog okay. days of summer are upon us. That's okay though. It makes you want to, makes you feel comfy, comfy, cool with the snow minded mindset and powder uh, dreams. Powder dreams, right? Yeah, of course. I'm going to have to start posting. As it gets hotter, more pow shots on my Instagram. There you go. You have cool to. everybody out. <laughs> exactly. That's all. Yeah, that's all I look for is pow shots on Instagram. So tell us a bit about what you're doing today. Uh, well, I'm actually driving back to Oregon. Nice. And uh, head out to the coast. We got a big swell hitting Oregon coast. It's supposed to be about eight foot Whoa. is uh, the max height. And also, I will be going out to help this surf shop teach surf lessons dude which is a new thing for me uh which surf shop do you want to give them a little plug yeah go ahead yeah pura vita they're in otter rock oregon sweet yeah yeah really really cool shop and super stoked they brought me on and you know it'll be a short um time with them you know the season's gonna be pretty short but Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a lot of fun over the next uh two months hopefully what uh what's surfing like on that coast is it wetsuit oh yeah oh yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's cold <laughs> cold water much like my my native ocean the atlantic in maine uh it's it's cold water i think 50 upper 50s you know i'm not i don't put a thermometer in the water i just hear what the temperatures are right. it, it, you know the temp for me it doesn't really matter if there's waves i'm just going to jump in the ocean right um so five four three is pretty much the standard. Booties, gloves. Oh wow, yeah. Eh? Hood, hood if you have a hood. Well, yeah. Yeah. So or people, you know, I have a four three which I get away with, you know, because I'm a little bit used to the cold water. Right. Um, with booties, gloves, hood. So that keeps me pretty toasty. But you know, I'm paddling around, catching waves as much as I can, so I stay active in in the water, so I don't get too cold. But, you know, a couple weeks ago, my feet did get pretty cold with three mil booties on. Oh, really? Yeah, so I had to pop out, uh, take the boots off, warm my feet up. Yeah, you know, because then you're just surfing on nubs, pretty much. Mm. (laughs) I know all about it, snowboarding. Yeah, it makes it it a little tough. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, I got frostbite the first, first winter in my whole snowboard career. I got frostbite this winter. Just oh, on my big toe. For the first time in your entire career, this past winter was the first time you got frostbite. Yeah, and I grew up in Maine. 
How like bad? In, like yeah, like riding on? in Sorrells right. with like ski bladders in them. You know, a ski ski boot yeah, liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just really crazy. It was just super cold and um, had good layering on. It was just really cold. Uh, but yeah, so the first time, and and so now it's just one of those things. That it's always you know with my my Alaska pursuits on the horizon. I'm a little bit worried, um, but in my Northern Canada pursuits coming up, I got I got a it has me a little. I got a pro tip little worried, but pro tip for you. It's Darren's yeah, pro tip for me. <sighs> Put chill, hot chilies between your toes. No, 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 no. <laughs> close. You got to get hot shots for your toes, but you stick them up the boot ah. in the boot on top of the liner, not in the bottom under your toes. Ah, uh, so mm-hmm. outside the liner, no, between no, the no. boot and the liner. No, I put them, and I'm not going to say that I invented this idea. I'm sure somebody <laughs> else did before I did, it's but. Just- but you know, I'm no, one of those guys. Way. Like, I don't know. I I like my toes to stay warm when I can, and you know those toe warmers that you can buy that have the adhesive on them. Oh yeah, uh, they've always been a pain in the ass because you put them in your liner on the bottom, and then by the time you're done or halfway through the day, they get rolled around and they're moving around and they become a pain in the ass. So I decided to stick them to the top of the toe box on the inside of the liner. Nice. Where they, you don't even feel them mm-hmm. except the warmth. right. Sure, so it works all the time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Here in northern <laughs> Alberta, it gets cold. The winters are freaking brutal, man. Like minus so 20 brutal. is a pretty normal day, yeah. you know. And uh, I coach with a snowboard club here at the local hill, and we shut it down at minus 30 because the hill does. They won't run the lift after minus 30. But right. minus 27. We're still out there, <laughs> you know, and the kids complain about it a little bit, you know, but we say, hey, man, where do you guys live and where do you guys ride? Mm-hmm. This is it. This so is we got to yeah. get used to it. We just keep them moving. That's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. And a lot of hot cocoa breaks. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do good breaks. That's for sure. That's for sure. But uh, That's because they're not paying for the lifts. The parents are. That, that's when we make them hike <clears throat> the park. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you had and where your lodge is, do you have an? old style fireplace or has it yep. gone away no. so they they the, so the lodge at the local hill they do have an old style yes it is it's actually an old a-frame from the 60s yeah. beautiful um, and they actually moved the hill so the hill is it's for all intents purposes it's a river bank it's not even a hill um <laughs> okay you know and it's not big it's small but it's great it's really well managed they've they do awesome snow making they they really have it nailed down uh, what they did is they actually moved the hill a little more to the west side of the bank. And when they did, they took the lodge, the A-frame from the bottom, and they moved it to the top. Um, but it still has all the original fireplace and all that good stuff in it. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's a minute and a half down and five minutes up in the chair. Minute. It, <laughs> I think with ski tracks, my fastest run going 80 kilometers an hour was 36 seconds yeah, to the dude. bottom or yeah. something like that. So, wow. You know. But whatever. Sounds like sounds like this place in the main coast called Lost Valley. Yeah. There you go. It's just yeah. fun. Yeah. Just fun. For all know. my all my main homies that mm. you know, you know where that place is. <laughs> That's right. So let's they take- had the fun they had the funniest commercial where it was whistling. Oh, and I yeah. wish I could I wish I could find that commercial on YouTube or something, because it was like the best whenever you heard that whistling ad come on, you knew it was Lost Valley. Can you whistle it? Uh I can whistle. Um <laughs> But I'm probably not going to try it right now. 
10-4. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> All good. So let's get back into uh, the beginning of when Max decided to start snowboarding. Yeah. Let's oh, when I when I start when I began snowboarding or yeah, splitboarding. No, no. Well, no. Let's go back to the roots. Like, were yeah. you a skier? Did you grow up skiing yeah. or did you grow up snowboarding? I'm going to go oh, the, inc- the, in- the inception. So the very beginning. So I was into surf culture and surfing before snowboarding in Portland, Maine. So, yeah, of all places. So we used to like much like people that live in the Northeast go down to Florida, you know, it's called snowboarding. And mm. so you'll go down in the wintertime and come up in the summer, go to Melbourne and, and surf Melbourne, Florida. And yeah. And so I went down on one short trip, uh, when I was 13, I believe 12 or 13 and picked up this six, three town and country thruster. It was like the worst aboard for me to learn on. <laughs> But it was like 55 bucks at the local surf shop. And I begged my mom to buy it for me. And so I bought it and that's what I learned on. And so then I was like, wow, this is awesome. Because so, back then you'd be flipping through the mags and I'd see like early Kelly Slater and Tom Curran and like all the pros and like all these guys just like shredding huge waves. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, I want that. That's part of my life. And to the point to where it's like, I had these pair of jeans and I drew all the, like the logos, Quicksilver and Town and Country and all down the front of my jeans on both legs. Nice. So I was like nice. with a Sharpie marker. Yeah, I wish I yeah. still had those jeans, right? But, so I was like, I'm into the culture. So then when snowboarding came along, I was like, you know, when I actually gravitated towards snowboarding, I was like, Oh, this is what I need to do in the winter. And. So the crossover was really quick for me. And the first Burton I had was an Elite 140. And I saved up all my paper route money and all my other, you know, odds and ends money. And I went in and bought, I believe it was at Port Sports in Portland. And I bought the Elite 140. What was the color of that it, thing again? Uh, I was blue and black with the, the white. So it was the, the blue and black one because i had the elite performer so that with the black uh black with the red trim and then the i guess the horizontal lines or like kind of 45 degree lines on it exactly yep. yeah same gra- had, same had, kind of graphics it had the fin underneath it that you could like yep. attract and put it down and these really janky bindings with a bit of a strap on them yeah yeah they were like uh fast lock uh yeah like you had to pull on both sides. And yeah. That was that was what you had. The, the the little metal rudder or whatever. I took that out right away. Yeah, me too. Because that was like the you know the thing. Oh, you can't ride with that. Yeah, no. you got to pop that thing out. Well, I just rode. <laughs> so, it, I just rode at the local ski, like the local uh, toboggan hill, and we just just drop cliffs and you know off the rocks into the pow and make little jumps like it's a skateboard, right? That's what we did. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's where it all really started. Like I, I started up and then no places in Maine were allowed snowboarding. Yeah, me too. And, I'm and so where, so I lived in just up from Sebago Lake in the woods, rural Maine, uh, under Douglas, Douglas Mountain. And there was this old Grange Hall and the Grange Hall up from my house had this probably 70, 80 yard slope and it was perfect. It was like I had a driveway that went all the way to the top, so I'd walk up the driveway. Nice. And then I'd snowboard down. Yeah. 
And I'd walk up the driveway yeah. and I'd snowboard down. Yeah. So that was really where it all began nice. for me in Maine. And then um, I was still ski racing at the time. So, yes, I did grow up skiing because mm-hmm. um, you always have to do something in Maine as far as being outside, whatever, whatever the season is. And so I grew up skiing, started cross country, and then I would skate on the lakes, like shovel off the lakes and set up the, the, like the hockey rink, the makeshift net and would do that. And then cross, cross country led to downhill alpine. And then for the first part of my high school, um, my 10, 11, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 years in high school was ski racing in the beginning. And then on break, we'd get a break in between running gates and they'd reset the gates. Mm-hmm. And then I went, once I had the elite 140, I went and started riding, like kind of like poaching. But before that, we had to go and petition the mountain manager to say, Hey, this is snowboarding and it's really safe. And we please let us ride the lifts. Right. And so we got to ride pine lift, which if anybody knows Pleasant Mountain, which is now called Shawnee Peak, you know that lift. And uh, everyone that's back in that day, they're laughing right now. And so we would ride that that double. <laughs> and and I was like, within a couple runs, yeah. I was linking turns no problem. Yeah. And like top to bottom, I was doing T to Bs. Yeah. And, and from learning, my, taking my hits on that small hill by the Grange Hall. Right. Right. Yeah. So I had... So you remember that that first trick in snowboarding back then is like you'd roll onto your nose and you drag your hands and your head would be facing the slope and you'd be riding backwards. Yeah, I wanted to do remember that now every day, but that butter, <laughs> the first butters, <laughs> yeah, right? Everyone yeah. butters now, and I'm like, oh, the buttering's old. That's old. Like yeah. this is what we used to do on the hard pack back east, you know. And so that was like the first trick, and everybody going o- over on the lift was like, whoa, not only can you turn, but look at that trick, look at that butter, you know? And I don't even know if it had a name, but that was like the first kind of freestyle trick that I learned. And so then one, one night, cause we would train after school on the, on the race team. I never went back. Ooh. And my coach was like, where have you been? And I'm like, I've been snowboarding. They're like, what? Uh. <laughs> no you need to, like because uh, i was like second or third on the team or something oh, okay and and she was like no Matt, you need to go back and we need you and i'm like well i found snowboarding i'm never skiing again <laughs> and that was really it like i never skied again well yeah. there was only a couple times maybe at sunday river where it was like april fools and i put on a pair of skis right but yeah i never never looked back and so- and I'm better. I'm a better man for it. <laughs> I, I agree. I don't, I don't disagree with you whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and I would agree as well. As, as soon as I discovered snowboarding, that was it. I was done with skis. I just yeah. Have, I just except for splitboarding. Yeah. I love. Yeah. I love the telly turn. I do love the telly turn. Yeah, it's a good one to get from in those little in betweens. Mm-hmm. As long as you're getting the pow, that's what the main thing is. Right. So you discovered. Snow, sort of snowboarding at a young age. Yeah. And you said the hell with fucking skiing and uh, sort of pursuing that. So how did you get into uh, Olympic? Would you get into, did you stick with, the, did you go into, race? like when you said when you were racing, did you race hard boots? Did you race, what was your, your racing 
um, with snowboards. Okay, well, you you were talking about ski racing yeah. when you mentioned mm-hmm. racing before, but then obviously that racing bug stuck with you after you got into snowboarding, right? And so eventually started racing snowboarding. So yeah, Chad and I were talking earlier about that. What kind of racing in snowboarding were you doing? Were you the hard boot guy doing the PGS stuff or? Yeah, yeah, I was a hard booter. I knew and USSA, the Eastern Division, there was like, there was two things, two dis- disciplines. Right. And it was like, you're either racing gates mm-hmm. or you're running half pipe. Right. Like slope style, all that kind of stuff didn't exist. That's what I said. So, That's what I told them. All right, Chad, you win. Right Here's now. 10 bucks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have the history lesson here for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind so, of funny because so, my, uh, sorry to cut you off, Max. My, my like, oldest daughter was into competing and she got to compete in Canada Winter Games last year. When she got the email that she was selected for the team, she was trying to go slope style. And they didn't yeah. pick her for slope style. They picked her for PGS. And I remember she got the email and she's, and I texted her and I said, did you see that email? She's like, yeah, I'm not fucking going. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, no. what are you talking about? And she's like, it's PGS. I'm not set up for that shit. I said, oh, that's funny. I said, don't worry about it. Cause all the kids from Ontario and Quebec are going to sweep it anyways. Cause they're going to be all set up with the boots and the training and the coaches and, and all that good stuff. I said, just go and ride. And she went yeah. and rode and out of 32 racers, she finished like 14th. Which I thought Excellent. for a kid who had never done it before was awesome. But, uh, but yeah, that whole PGS thing, you know, just that was her mentality was, you know, the boards, you know, the bindings, the boot setups, like how different that was. So I've always been kind of curious what it's like to rip through gates in, in that setup. Yeah. And back then, you know, that was the thing to do if you, if you grew up in that region. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you are fast company if you are an East Coast racer. I mean, the list goes on of like, you know, we could talk about East Coast racers for like at least 15, 20 minutes. But that was because I had a good ground game. And so, you know, I like getting in the air, but I like carving turns more just because I wanted to go fast. Mm-hmm. And that's not to not to say that I didn't pull threes and, and work on, you know, fives and start spinning because, you know, I free, I freestyled too. And then we had a half pipe and a lot of, a lot of parks started building and jumps. So, you know, I wasn't just stuck to one discipline, but the one thing I did gravitate to was racing. Mm -hmm. And so that's the one thing that I was like, okay, I'm not going to make it half pipe. So I'm going to focus on racing. And that was my focus. So I raced a couple of years on the East coast and then I had the opportunity to move out to Utah. And so I, I leapt at it. It was actually through a relationship that was like, come out to Utah. And prior to that, I had a friend that was a ski instructor at Sunday river and he was sending postcards back of like the banner year, 92, 93 that Utah had. And postcards, not emails, not pictures. Right. Because every, everything wasn't the digital trend, you know, Instant. transition hadn't occurred yet. Yeah. So Instant. postcards would show up to the ski school room and I'd look at it and I'd be like, whoa, it's so deep, like choker, <laughs> choker deep, nice. right? Over the hood pictures. And I'd be like, wow, I got to go to Utah. So then, the opportunity came and I leapt at it. 
And so it was a good transition for me because USSA was based in Park City. And so it afforded me better training. Right. Which, which I had good training, but it was mostly setting my own gates, you know, and running my own gates. Mm. And then I taught, taught, um, a coach at Gould Academy for a blip of time. And I was like, ah, yeah, coaching's not kind of my thing. You know, I had a lot of fun with the kids and like we would rip around the hill, but it kind of wasn't my thing. I wanted to focus more on me. I was still young. Mm-hmm. I was still in my early, early twenties. So, so I moved out to Utah and in the first summer I started looking at training programs and you know, there was a training program in Colorado and then, and then there was Jerry Masterpool's cross M training out of Donner ski ranch in California. And if you followed ski racing back then, that was the training program to be on because it had Mark Fawcett, it had Jeremy Jones, it had Tara Eberhardt, it had like all the, the, the bangers for racers. Like they're just crushers, you know? And I was like, I need to be on that program. And it was really selective. Like Mike and Jerry was like, they only selected people from like nationals that won nationals. Right. So then one summer they decided to open, open up to, more applications for their training program. And so I did. And I was like, ah, I'll try it. It was like, it was like applying for the lottery at the legendary bank slalom from Mount Baker. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in, but <laughs> if I get picked, awesome, let's throw a party, whatever. but you know, I'm not yeah. going to have my hopes up. Right. <laughs> so, so I got picked and Mike Masterpool let me know. And I was like, over the moon. I was like, oh, this is it. I can't wait to be like, shredding gates with these guys you know and it was like so it was mark fawcett jeremy jones adam hostetter tara albert me and i cut and a couple other racers and we all started training at sugarloaf which i was like whoa that's pretty crazy like we're not going to mount hood let's drive all the way back across country to maine <laughs> to train at sugarloaf like and it was sense. because and it was because, like, Jeremy, I think, like, gave Sugarloaf, like, he, like, checked the box with that one. He's like, let's go to Sugarloaf because they have amazing snowmaking and CVA's there. And we got it all on lock. Like, we can go and train. And so that was, so it was Mike, me, and a couple other guys. I wish I could remember the names. That bums me out. But that's how my memory is after 30 years. <laughs> and so yeah, we drove all the way across the country to Sugarloaf mm. to train. And so we trained there and it was amazing. And just being around the camaraderie and the motivation and just the elite level racing caliber that everyone was in at that time. Mm-hmm. I was like, I love this. This is exact. In your happy yeah, place. I, was, I was in my happy place. Right. And so a lot of good friendships came out of that. And that moment, and then the master pools were like, okay, we're going back out to California. Max, we want you to come along and, you know, but just so you know, this is what it's going to cost, mm. you know? And so at that point in my life, I think I was 21 years old. I was like, gulp, like, but they were like, Hey, if you want to take the next step, like, this is what it's going to be. So like with airfare and training and lodging and expenses and everything else, I was like, Oh my God, that's a lot of money. So I reached out to my family and my fa- my family helped me out a little bit, but it was like really on me. Like I had to make this happen myself. 
So long story short, um, I had to put, put that on pause, hit pause on that. And I was like, I want to join you next year, but let me run this year, the inner mountain make nationals. And then I'll, I'll come back to the team. And so that's exactly what I did. And I was like first in GS, second in Slam or something like that and did really well. But then in the interim, I found the backcountry. And this was the first year that I found splitboarding. And so I was out just romping around the hills with a couple skiers, one being Craig Gordon from Utah Avalanche Forecast Center, which if you haven't seen the fundraiser video for their fundraiser on September 10th, you guys got to watch that. No, we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah, Craig, Craig Gordon is an OG and he's such a personality. I call him the backcountry Jedi, the Wasatch Jedi. And you'll, you'll see, cause he has this like bun that he's had forever. <laughs> we like this Jedi bun yeah, on the yeah. top of it. Yeah. And only, only Craig, I love you, Craig. Like <laughs> only Craig can rock the man bun like this because he's just such a beast. Yeah, we and saw. So, we actually looked him up a little bit when we saw your bio. Did you? And yeah. and I'll admit, yeah, I know Chad was just going to call me out on it, but I'll admit <laughs> that we watched a uh, a mountain report video he did for Park City Television or something like that. And oh um, yeah, and yeah, he uh, he was looking pretty um, uh, pretty monkish with the bun there and the and the buzz cut. Yeah, I was just kind of curious about that, and that's obviously. Who he is. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, that's trying, that yeah. is who Craig is, and he is the best. And I have so much to pay, you know, like thank him for mm-hmm. because he set me on a trajectory that now I was like, wow. You know, like it was like, look, Max, if you want to be on the backcountry with us, because I was solid board snowshoes. Right. And these guys were on telegear. Right. You know, and moving really fast. And I'm like, stomping up the hill, you know, behind him at first, which is a big no, no, you know, snowshoes on the skin track. And they corrected me right away. They're like, Hey, no, man, that doesn't work. Like you can't, you can't snowshoe up the skin track. This is the Wasatch and we have etiquette. So what was their correction right away? Because you were still snowboarding, right? So what was the fix for you? The fix was I needed shoeing. Yeah, so I had to put in, like, whenever I went with them, I had to put in my own snowshoe track mm. next next to the skin track. Oh, stay off. And they yeah, wouldn't, yeah. They, yeah, they wouldn't let me on the skin track. And I'm like, come on, guys. It's so much easier. And they're like, no. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> and so one day I was out there and we were wallowing through, like, deep Utah powder. And it was like when Snowbird really allowed uphill terrain, I mean, uphill travel into the terrain, and so I'm out there and, you know, we're just, I'm just ugh, like working it so hard. And back then, you know, it's funny. Like if you ask any of the people that saw me racing in the early days in Utah, like I was so broke and struggling to, like, just to pay for like contest fees and, and my living expenses that I wore oh, like Carhartt overalls o- over my GS suit. I didn't have like zip, zip down the side Gore-Tex pants. I had to take my boots off and then take my overalls off and then put my boots back on yeah. to race in my GS suit. Wow. 
which was quite quite funny. A lot of people have got a good kick out of that. No doubt. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, this guy's hardcore. He's from Maine. He wears car hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that, that was always funny. And then it became my trademark, which was funny enough. But so we're back, so we're back in, in like underneath the twins at Snowbird, just wallowing. And Craig's like, look, if you're going to come hang with us, which we want you to do, you got to go down to Volet and you got to talk to Mark and Cowboy. They got this thing called the split decision. Mm. It was like a split board. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a plan. That next day I went down there and I was like, Hey, Craig told me to come down and check out your what split decision thing, the split board. And they were like, Oh yeah, come on in. And they were stoked. Like that. I was like, they threw the doors open. Now you can't really get into the inner sanctum of Volet. They kind of stop you at the gate. I'm sure. Which is the front office. But then they threw the door open and like, ah, oh, check this DIY kit out. And this is what we got. And Cowboys over there, you know, banging it out. And the first cobbled split board, which is still on the wall, I think, at the workbench, is up there hanging on the wall. Like the the holy grail, you know? No of doubt. So it's really cool. Like if you haven't seen pictures of what he kind of went to Wally in the very beginning with, it was basically, God, I don't even know what kind of board, but it was a directional board that he cut in half and he had these Franken bindings on door hinges, <laughs> right? And then he had like it. the things that connected the two halves together right. with these wing nuts with this K2 ski that he cut <laughs> at like oh probably like five, 10 centimeter lengths. And so he would spin like, you know, if you can imagine like a really narrow K2 ski and it would, it was grooved out and he would swing and then put the wing nut to hold it. And that's exactly what was like the kind of like the beginning. I, was, I mean, it was the carry on, mm -hmm. but it was the beginning for Wasatch Utah's split boarding. Before that, Nitro made a split board. And I don't know if you guys ever seen that, but no, that, that, that split board is pretty trick. It had mounting plates with Fritchie bindings and you only had a couple settings for the, and then it had ratchet straps for the, for the no. connectors. For the, oh yeah. <laughs> like it, I think Dennis at, Dennis at Salty Peaks has one of the original nitros. And that was back in, God, I want to say 92, 93 or 91, 92. Um, if you ever can find, when I get back into Utah, if you can't find a picture, I'll, I'll go to Salty Peaks and take a picture and then you can, yep. I'll send it. I'll send it to sick. you. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. That'd be sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hold me to it. Cause I'm, I am geeking out on that kind of history stuff too. I wish I had bought one of those boards back then because it would really like, be a wall hanger that's like um, the only thing, the only thing i have from the history of slipboarding is uh jasper it's called marmot bank marmot basin it's jasper alberta here they're they've got a an old shrine of like a trapper that would have come in through that area and i swear the cross-country skis he's got has an old pelt underneath them and i yeah beaver pelt beaver pelt, and he, <laughs> beaver pelt. yeah dude he would eat canadian come on a and uh he would use the, they would use those underneath their doing the trap line. So they would use that to go up, obviously, and then skin around or skin around, but ski around just to get to their trap lines. So that's that's even earlier beginning, but it wasn't a split board. It was just touring, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So that's that's really where it began with splitboarding for me, because then what they did was uh, Mark, Wally, and Cowboy got together, and they're like, well, let's set them up nice. with a DIY kit, right? So then I had an old GNU Faroa that I split. I was like one of my boards. And they're like, ah, you know, we've had some, you know, you know, conflicting results with foam core boards. And this was a foam core boards. And I was like, nice. well, I'll give it a, sh- I'll give it a shot anyway. So first day up to Twin Lakes Pass, oh, no. me and my friend Eddie Toy were out. First day is like 94, spring of 94. And first, first mission out and we skinning up. It was great. As soon as I got to like the steep part going up Twin Lakes, my one of the skis snapped right in half, oh. right, right at the ski mount, well, and just broke. Done, hey? Like just broke. And so and then I put it together and just like sat on it and just rode out. But I was like, whoa, yeah, foam cores don't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was early enough in the day where I went back down to the warehouse and you know went in and saw Mark and go, hey bud, you're right. Like foam cores don't work. And he's like, just giggled and was like, come on back. And they had a bunch of hooger booger boards, like symmetric, directional hooger booger boards. And they're like, we've cut a bunch of these down the middle and we've pre-drilled them out. Why don't you just take one of those? And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, put that, put that kit, put that kit that we gave you on it. And here's some skins and the skins were the plastic skins. They weren't even mohair skins. They were plastic skins with little grooves cut in them. So when the, when the skin flexed, uh-huh. it would grab the snow. Okay. And then it had welded on volet straps that would go around each half of the, the board, the ski. And that's how you would hold the skin on. And it had a metal toe clip and a metal tail clip. So no adhesive, no, uh, sticking. No adhesive. This was pre mohair pre-synthetic pre-adhesive skin so what would happen if you had any lateral movement if you're like traversing a ridge or you know what i mean like if you had a little lateral movement would you would your ski essentially slide off of the skin or or you had it well the crank so tight that uh yeah you get a little bit of play in it but the the volet strap would it was like i think i haven't opened those things in a long time but i think it was four volets Oh, I still have that. Nice. And the volet, the volet straps that were welded on, I think were in four points. You want pictures of those too? Oh, I'll send you pictures. Yes. Yeah, I've got the original bag and everything. Dude, that's and so awesome. it, it was the only board that I kept out of all the split boards that I've had over the years, and yeah, so I, I have that. I actually put it out in a picture next to the Cardiff Goat. With phantom bindings. Oh, yeah. And then this, and this board with the Fritchy plated bindings. And I think the, the weight difference was like 24 pounds or something. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's big. It's a huge, oh, huge God. difference. Huge difference. And it was like the difference in the skins and like the, the hard plate bindings and like, like those, those guys at phantom, they get a kick. You know, John and Alex, they get a kick out of that. They're like, oh, wow, man, you've been hard booting for a long time. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> so let's, let's touch on that. So what you got your DIY split from Volet and then you progress from there. When did you go into hard boots? 
So hard boot from the beginning. From the very um, beginning, okay. Yeah, from the very, very beginning. So what I had was Nordica SBHs for my my race Alp, Alpine boots and my Burton, old Burton Alpine boots, which I still have. And those were like my race boots. Like I would go back and forth and, you know, depending on the course and the, and, and the discipline, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to race my Burton boots today and on this course, or I'm going to race my SBH board boots on like maybe the slalom course or something like that and then, so then i was like well you know i don't have new, i don't have money to go buy new boots so i'm just going to use the sbhs and put them in the free tree bindings and then go snowboarding <laughs> so that's what i did and they had the the ski and walk lever even back oh. then you'd flip it up and you'd be in walk mode so your upper cuff had a lot of lateral movement right Sick. yeah forward and back so i was like oh this is great for like skin in and then I'd lock it in and that'd snowboard down. But it was super stiff compared to what's going on now with, with hard boots. Everyone that's hard booting now, let me just say, you got it easy. <laughs> Cause not only is it lighter, but the response, the feel, the transfer of energy, it's all like super, super smooth. Okay, so yeah, when yeah. you say that the 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 response, the field transfer of energy, when you're talking about that, are you talking about just in touring mode or in riding mode as well? Both. <clears throat> okay, so yeah, now, both. So now, because you know, Liz, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I got into snowboarding, and one of the big things I loved about snowboarding was not having to put a ski boot on ever again because I fucking hated ski boots. And yeah. still to this day, I kind of chuckle a little bit when I see skiers at a resort, clunk, 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 right? Going up and down the <laughs> stairs and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so I never really even ever considered hard booting. But the more that we're talking to people now, Chad and I, the more we're hearing about hard booting and what the advantages are. And I, there are some disadvantages, I guess, in, to, in, in essence, compared to soft booting. But when, I mean, you've been splitboarding for how long? Oh, um, 26 years. Okay, 26 years you've been splitboarding. And since the beginning, you've been hardbooting. Yeah, so it was hardbooting, and then I'd had like a pair of Burton bindings, I think the old freestyles when they first came out, and then mounted those on a DIY kit, like the slider tracks. And then when I was riding for Burton, they had me testing out the SI, the step-ins. Right. With the ruler boot. And oh, okay. that, and that's what I mounted to, to the slider tracks a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that picture. That's why that picture is like so historic. It's the Fritchie, which were my, my GS racing bindings. And that I put on a, <laughs> So um, well, you know what I got it. I'm curious. So how how was the touring mode set up back then? Because it was the new it Alpine was the old touring door hinge with the pin. Oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. So door hinge with the pin. That's sick. That's it, crazy. It man. was the so, yeah. It was like the old bent metal three <laughs> three screw volet <laughs> volet built like mount with the pin. And the whole thing was like the pin in the early days would always come out like half, half would pop out, you know, sure. even though it had that little ball bearing on the end to kind of keep it in, right. it would always like, you'd, you'd be going 
up and down, up and down, up and down so much that it would just wear wear it out and it would kind of slide out. Then you have to push back in, and that's where kid they came up with the the little the hanger that went over the pin to kind of right. keep it locked yep. in, right? Yeah, yeah the, and, the little metal half circle that would pop over it, right? The wire, exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah bail, the wire, like the bail. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. so how was it for you then? When when was the first time you got on to like an alpine touring type, you know, toe clip touring mode hinge? You know, when, when was the first time you got onto one of those? And because what I'm learning about hard booting is how much lighter the setup is, how much less friction there is in tour mode, so it makes the the up way more efficient. And, yeah. and easier is what I'm learning, right? And man, I, I'm amazed because what I'm riding on right now are the Burton Hitchhiker bindings, which are based on the Spark R&D Tesla model. Right. Which I think is a sick as shit setup as it is, you know? But um, yeah. to imagine that something is easier to tour with and, and is much more efficient kind of blows my mind a little bit. So I'm curious to Yeah, hear. you know, th- there's a lot of guys around the Wasatch that exclusively ride hard boots. And, you know, like Cody Hughes is one of them and Dylan Vesper is another one. And Ray, Ryan, uh, Rain Falk is one of our gals on Cardiff that rides on the Phantom team. That's hard boot only. Um, and so different applications, different strokes for different folks, I guess. If you're guiding or if you're going with skiers that mm. are super fast you or fast, it. yeah, fast company, you need to make your kit more efficient. Right. Yeah. And Cody's one of those, one of those snowboarders, um, where, I mean, he goes with a lot of snowboarders, slipboarders too, but he's fast company. So it's like, he has just grabbed, plus he guides for Axum. So and that's the other realm. Like when you're guiding, you want quick transitions. So if you need to help your clients or whatever, or just set in a Skinner or whatever reason, guides kind of gravitate towards the hard boots now i ride for caracorum as well so the way i delineate my use with hard boots and soft boots is i like to use hard boots for technical terrain so like in the cascades or the tetons or anything that kind of require rope work or really really steep Right. Not, not to mention that Caracorum, the Prime X's are amazing bindings and are, as you've seen, tried and tested in really steep terrain. Um, and I love my soft boots. Like Brian has helped me through 32 and now Sean with Northwave. So I'm super stoked on both of those boots and the way they interface with the Caracorums. So. Big shout outs to the Karakorum boys. Like, I, I love Karakorum. Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty fucking stacked bindings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, honestly, like they are in my eyes and on my feet, the best soft boot splitboard binding on the market. And I'm sorry for all the other companies. I go, oh, damn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But like, but I just, you know, I need... Like I was telling Rob like uh, last year, so I was ripping this line called the White Pearl and it's lower a little cottonwood and people that know, know. And there's this big granite rock in the middle of the line 
and it's exposed from below, but you can't really see it from above. And we had a big low snow year with a lot of snow down low in the canyon. So I made all these lines like super primo. And I'm just mocking turns like, ah, oh, God, these conditions are so perfect. And I hooked a rock on my heel side edge, like caught like a shark fin. Yeah. And it threw me into that big boulder. Well, it hit right, like I hit it spinning like a top right in front of my left foot. Oh. And if I had hit it under the base, it would have shattered my left leg my hip, everything, all that energy would have just gone through my leg and I would have been a much different person today. No doubt. But I hit it right in front, but what didn't give? The board broke, but the bindings didn't. And the bindings didn't even warp. They didn't even twist. They didn't pop off the plate. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, and I was totally locked in. So once I hit that rock, bam, my board broke. And it spun me off of it. And I, I still have the GoPro. Like, the GoPro is still loading. I mean, still rolling. <laughs> and, and I'm like, ooh, ah, uh, ooh, hit the snow and got up and like, whoa, shook it off and tried to ride away. And the moment I tried to ride away, I fell over my nose. Well, because the board is broken there's in no half. Board there. Yeah. It was completely broken right through. And, and I sh showed, Sam and I was like, look, look what I did today. <laughs> and all the boys through a text message, they're like, Oh my God, dude, are you okay? And how did you do that? And then I told him that story. But the first person I had to call once I got down the can canyon was Rob at Karakorum. Right. And I say, bro, thank you. And thank the boys for building such an amazing, super strong binding. No, because no. otherwise, if it had popped out or broke, you know, it could have been a different story. Right. Right. So, so yeah, so that on soft boots, um, big plug to Karakorum. Love you guys. Uh, but when I first started riding again, the kind of like the futuristic new, new of hard boots was recently. Um, now what boots were those? So these are the atomic pros. Okay. And yeah. it was a pair that Alex at Phantom gave me with the link lever on them. Oh, and he was yeah. like, you know, here's the new, new that we're working on and we're kind of tinkering. So here, give them, run them through the ringer. And whenever so someone says run them through the ringer, I'm like, all right, you give them to the right guy. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna I'm really going to put them. I'm going to put some miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put some miles and really put them through the test. Hey, so real so, quick, side note uh, on that, can you can you give us a number, like how many days of the season you're out? On those boots? Uh, uh, when did I get them? I got them after the OR show in February. And then I think I got the Rona, <laughs> which is another story. But anyway, but... <laughs> Total amount of days, I want to say probably 130, 140. Nice. Yeah, maybe a little less. That's a big number. That's a big number. That's a big Probably number. a little less. Because I was going in between, you know, probably less, actually less than that. Because I was riding soft boots and hard boots. Right. But I've been putting, when I came up to the PNW, I was putting a lot of days, you know, just, just on my volcano tour. This spring no, and no. my time, 
my time in the Tetons, I probably have at least 30 days. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. So you got the new, new from Alex. He's like, this is the new, new. So go on with that. Sorry. I interrupted that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Alex and, you know, John and I have been talking for a little bit, been talking to John before, um, about Phantom. And I was like, you know, I love what you're doing and yeah. I want a pair of the Phantoms. The slippers, the new ones. Yeah, not the slippers, but just the bindings, right? Oh, yeah. Because they had just gotten into the boot. They just got into doing boots because they're doing mods, right? Right. Um, Like cutting up boots, and that was really rad to watch kind of like that that take place. Um, But I wasn't really geeking out that hard on on hard boots at that that time. I was like, you know, I'm pretty happy riding Karakorums in my boots, like, I'm, I'm pretty locked into these. And, and so, you know, and I just remember the old days were like, oh, my boots are really stiff. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to ride like that. It's too, it's too stiff. And, and so, you know, he was like, well, you need to try these. So let's give you a pair of the pros and with the link levers and gave me a pair of bindings. And that, you know, I was using those and I was like, whoa, I was like, what a difference. I was like, started talking more and more and more to the guys. And then they were like, yeah, let's put you on the team. And I was like, okay. Sweet. So what was, <laughs> so, what was the key? What was the key difference that changed things for you there? Was it the link lever or was it the boots or the combo of both? Or are you saying, you know, I just to- think, I think the complete interface, like the bindings and the way those were all designed are amazing you know it's yeah they're super lightweight they lock in they're easy to use easy to adjust um well there's i mean it's like compared to ratchet straps i mean you're click boom you're in right no fucking around yeah you make the adjustment pre on your boots is that correct yeah you do (laughs) and uh i have a funny i have a funny funny story about that but <laughs> um, we'll get into that if we have. I'm pretty. Time. I'm pretty but, stoked. Um, I don't know that I'm the guy who is going to. I, you know, I don't think I. I'm currently the guy who's got the chops to be rocking a hard boot setup. But I would certainly love to give it a shot and try it and and see what the diff is and and how much how how much better it feels. Yeah, I th- I think that's what you know. And with the demo program, Alex wants to do a much roll out a much. Uh, bigger demo program for next year to right. give people access to doing just that and to seeing if hard boots are your thing, right? Because well, hey, they're not. Sh- shout maybe out to they Alex. might not. Shout out yeah. to Alex. I'm I'm ready to demo, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Actually, he and I have so, chatted a little bit already. So <laughs> yeah, you know, and like he he th- those guys are great. Like you know, it's yeah. I, I love it when you know that that's the thing about the snowboard industry is, you know, the connections that you can make in R and D product and help develop and work with small companies, um, like Phantom, like Caracorum, like Cardiff, you know, it's like the connections that, you know, like all the companies, it's just, you know, I digress, but it's like, it, it is really what fuels me is being able to call up somebody and having a great conversation and be like, Hey, here's some feedback. Like I had 
a 45 minute conversation with Sean at Northwave. And it was just like, well, how do you like, how do you like the boots? You know? And, you know, and we talked extensively about them. The domain C, CIs, the, I don't know if you check those Northwave boots out, but they're pretty cool. Or like having conversations with, you know, a lot of people about gear. Um, but I, but to get back to your question about what is it about hard boots? Um, you know, like I touched on the interface, the transfer of energy, the control, you know, having a, like a, a boot like that, that's easy on in technical terrain is all a plus. Um, you know, for me, like when I'm going into a rappel, it's like, I want to be able to pull my board off and clip it to me or have one foot in on a rappel and have it pretty easy. Yeah. Right. Um, but the, the skinning up, up, the biggest difference is the lateral flex and the upper cuff. Right. So there'll be a lot of times where I'm at a certain degree skinning up, you know, like three, four, five degrees, six degrees, and I won't even put out my riser because you have so much lateral forward to back movement, right? Yeah, that's what and I've so much, that that's what I've I've discovered through talking to people about the 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 walk mode on the hard boots yeah. is there's way more degree of latitude when it comes to that, right? And a lot more comfortable as well as the frictionless connection at the toe compared to any other soft boot snowboard or splitboard binding, right? For in yeah. tour mode. So <clears throat> yeah, I've heard a lot I've heard a lot of good stuff about that and for a guy like me who's getting a little up there in age and starting to feel some pangs every once in a while now when I'm on tour modes or even like hike. I went out for a big hike yesterday and I'm feeling, feeling the effects of that a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'll take what's easier any day. Now I'm, I'm also the yeah. kind of guy and, and we've had some talks with other people about this. I love the suffer. <laughs> like I love, I really, <laughs> really? do. I really Come do. Come on down to Utah. I got a couple yeah, toys man. for you. I, you, you know what, dude? I, I love it. I love the work. I, <laughs> Cause I love the reward that's at the end. Right. Cause more work means bigger reward. And yeah. I, does, does and it, I does it that. always though. It does. It always does. Okay. Yesterday was a prime example for me because we killed ourselves five kilometers straight up, but then we got to some sweet Alpine terrain and got to see some good stuff up top. So yeah, yeah. for me, I love that stuff. I'm into that. So easier easier is always going to be better for me that's yeah. for sure <laughs> but what i'm curious about mm-hmm. max is really like i'm really curious about what the okay so we know the touring part's nice and easy now let's get to the ride part right the transition's nice and easy with those bindings right they go on really quick and easy you clip mm-hmm. into the bindings piece of cake no ratcheting to fuck around with right you flip that hook over on the toe and you're in you're done you're ready mm-hmm. to go now you drop What's the difference on the ride exactly. down versus a, a soft boot? You know, when you're in POW, it's it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I think the the snappiness of it and kind of like the control that you have with going a little bit faster, like that's the one thing that everyone always says, like, I can ride a lot faster. I can and see yeah, that. you I can. can. I can see that. 100%. Well, there's a like lot you more. Can, like, sorry, I, I apologize. To me, what sorry. what I would what I would consider because I'm I've got that analytical brain, so I'm thinking you're you they're way more responsive, right? Exactly. What you yeah. Want well, to happen, so I could see even in like 
even like the dust on crust kind of conditions where it's a little stiffer, a little harder, you're going to have way better edge control, right? You're going to be able to hold better and that kind of stuff. And then in the deep pow, when you want to slash those big turns, it's going to be the, the, everything's going to be a little more efficient. Yes. Yeah. So as you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's like all about the response. And that's what I'm talking about. Transfer of energy. Right. Yeah. So, so when you're laying out a turn, it's just the, the feel and the responsiveness really takes over in the boots. That's sick. And you don't really need to like flex it through your feet, right? The energy transfer hits the boots and then goes into the plate, which drives the board. Dude, that's sick. So I'm that's, sold. I'll take a pair. <laughs> is it, is it, and are I'll they, you a code. <laughs> are they less fatiguing then too in that sense? Yeah. And that's another thing. It's like you can do, now, I mean, it goes from rider to rider, but for me, I can do more vert on my Phantom setup. And that's sometimes what I need, right? Right. That's why we have quiver. You know, we have a yeah. quiver of boards. Yes. Not one board is great for all conditions. Nope. And so that's why between bindings and boots and boards, you got to have the quiver that <laughs> matches the Absolutely. type of conditions mm-hmm. my and wife, for me and it's like oh go ahead i was gonna say my wife hates it i'm such a fucking geek when it comes to equipment and and i just I like care. I, I buy whatever i, I want i don't like to buy the <laughs> cheapest i like and i'm and it's not that i it has nothing to do with the price i just want what i know and i understand is going to be the best yeah and i don't want to fuck around and well have you heard of cardiff snowcraft dude i'm already on it I have I okay so I, know, I, know, I, know. I I'm oh new God. to Cardiff. That was just a shameless plug. I, yeah, no. Shit. I'm new I'm new to Cardiff. I've only just learned about Cardiff in the last 4 or 5 months, but oh. looking at what Sam's doing with the boards and I just watched it's a series. I watched a series this summer of him just a couple people getting on the calls and him ask, answering questions on the tech on those boards. I was just like, dude, that's fucking amazing. Like Yeah, that was that was Bjorn and Jamo's brainchild and that was awesome. Like especially oh. during like lockdown and such. Yeah, and Sam is just like, well, this and that, and the tail, this, and designing this. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, yeah. That stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sold. Like, I, yeah, where do I get one? Okay, and I hate to be the skeptic, but and, but yeah. I always am. So that's great that he's doing all that and there's lots of engineering going on. But I guess the, the proof's in the pudding, right? Until you ride one and you get to see what it feels like. So now oh, yeah. that's, where, that's where I turn it over to Max. Because yeah. Max has been splitboarding for 26 years since the first DIY volet kits. Mo- the, uh, so, what do you call those? The, uh, uh, I can't think of the word now. The mountain approaches? What? No. I'm having a brain fart. Kay. This is not good. Anyways, when you think about it, come back to us. <laughs> Your so, mo- monster, like you made. Oh, the Frankenstein. Frankenstein. That's the word. Yeah, that's what the he's thinking of. So, oh, so the, yeah. Now you've. <laughs> I, I can almost guess, Max, that you've ridden them all. And so now you're you're riding Cardiff. Is that correct now? Yes. So I went through, like, had my a great run with Vole. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so appreciative with those guys. And then transferred into Burton. And started riding for Burton. JG set me up and was awesome riding with them for a brief amount of time. Before that was Winter Stick. And then went to Rosie. And then I had an earlier stint with Rosie, but rode the Rosie splits, rode the Burton splits, and then got winter stick 
back into Winterstick, and then now Cardiff. So it hasn't been like across the board where mm-hmm. I've tried every split out there, but I, my, my focus was, okay, who's designing. And then, you know, Jones, I didn't have a chance to ride Jones split boards because, you know, I had contracts with other companies at that time. Right. But I mean, what Jair's done with Jones is like, unbelievable. Wow. You know, yeah. unbelievable. Like you, yeah. like for one person with such dedication and motivation no and ferocity to like give himself to like split boarding was amazing. And what? then everybody else that was like along, along with him on the videos and everyone else that then they, the list is too long for me to sit here and talk about That's who okay. influenced. We all, we all Except know. Dave Downing. I will say <laughs> Dave Downing, like in the early days, really put split boarding yeah. on the map, we really like with what he was doing. Sure. In videos, like yeah. Oh, yeah. he was the first one throwing yeah. airs on a split board. Like I you know. can't, you can't hit air. You can't hit a, like a wedge on, on a split. Watch this. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Sick. and be like, damn dude, mm-hmm. right on, mm-hmm. you know? So, so he, like I, back in the day, like it was amazing what he was doing with the early Burtons and the S board and like, but no one everything. Knew, the videos, no one had a clue what, that he was splitting most of those locations. Well, not most, but a few of those locations he was going to in those videos. Like there was no, no one had a clue because it was not. Yeah. Um, well, and that was kind of, that was kind of the mystique of it too. Mm-hmm. They're like, wait, you hit that on a split. Right. And so <laughs> like, and at that time it was like really kind of different with Volet, you know, it's like, Wally wanted to put like the side cut on the inside of the split decision. Do you ever see that? Where it was like made it like it didn't matter that you had to switch. Like you could ride it either right. way. Anyway, you know, because both both sides had side cut. There's some guys who are kind of going back to that now, right? They're they're kind of playing with some shapes like that. Where and, and I I don't know enough about it, but I've seen some posts on Instagram and the four where, piece where you're seeing some shapes where they've got this little wedge piece in the middle, and I don't know what you do with that. When you're yeah, touring. you know, I don't know. I don't know what you do with it either. And it seems um, like you know, too many pieces to me to make yeah, like a nice piece, solid connection. Split seems yeah. a bit much to me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. You know, you don't. You want to carry less in your backpack, not Absolutely. more. But oh. that's why we would just swap the skis, right? You and know, one because the the hooks that connect, like the board, they didn't swing out of the way yet. So that when we mounted them, they right. were fixed. Yeah. So you'd always like when you kept your board. In normal ski mode, you're catching. You're those. always, you're always catching them and falling on your face. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like, well, let's just switch them. And then it was like, oh, wow, that just changed things. And yeah. it was like, okay, now we got side cut on on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I got to say, if I want to go backcountry ski touring, then I'm gonna backcountry skis for that, you know? Like when it comes to the split, it's just about really just going up. Every once in a while you get that little holly you gotta drop down in or little ditch you gotta go through and you need to make a turn or two and that's about it. Right. You're really not relying yeah. on a whole lot of ski technology when you're in tour mode. You're just really concerned with getting up. Yeah, I mean for the most part. But I think that's where splits are going mm-hmm. is that efficiency of the glide going up right. because you spend 80% of your time on the skin track. No question. Right. Unless you're getting to a zone and you're just like yo-yoing or you're farming it out and then you're just getting up the skin track quick, you're transitioning and riding down. Right. But and that's, then it, the side cut on the outside of the ski isn't really, it, it's not a huge necessity for that though. Um, I would say it lends a little bit 
to things, especially when you're side hilling, but is it necessity? Uh, I don't think so. Not, not to build it into the board where it's like on the inside edge too. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just that keep it simple kind of guy, right? Like just, yeah. you know, like I, what I want, I'm, I'm doing all this so I get to snowboard down so that right. I get to enjoy it. So I want what's going to be the best ride down. And to me, it yeah. just seems like when it comes to making that package, the simpler you keep it, the better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like the swell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the carnivores. <laughs> what do you yeah, exactly? <laughs> what do you? Uh, what is it? Uh, what are the key things for the carnivores that are just that have you on fire? Which, about which one? Well, the uh, goat. The goat. They're all, they're all unique. Know. They've all got their own little thing. It's fantastic, really. Yeah, I mean, honestly, what what I love to geek out on is the build. And, you know, the fact that our cores take about three weeks for each core set to build before it even thinks about going into the board build-up. Wow. uh, The wet layup into the press, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, and then working with the best composites that you can. So our factory is the leader in that. Um, and they're very open to experimentation, uh, which I think, you know, concepts and R and Ding are really important. Um, what makes a difference with Cardiff, I think, is our half camber technology and what that gives us a lot of glide on the up as well as performance for the ride down. Mm-hmm. Um, each board side cut radius is different. Um, the taper is a d- different uh, on the tip and tail. Uh, the width of the board, we all know that, you know, you can ride a little bit smaller with a wider board. So with our Pagoda line, that's our focus, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the float aspects yeah. of that. Yeah. A flotilla mm-hmm. is our trademark name. Gotcha. And so um, with, like, I gravitate. Like, honestly, it's, it's hard for me because I want every single board that we come out with. Yeah. In one. Like, I want, <laughs> I want the 62 Pagoda for the three foot days. Yeah. And I want the, the crane for when I'm feeling freestyle. And I want the goat for like when I'm going to go mash some sick lines with Bjorn and, and Neil and JMO. And like, and then I want to ride my board when the swell when it's like kind of all around when it's steep coulars like 50 plus and like but powder fields and and just like big bowls to rip on and i think you know like what sam has done to take my design with what i had before and bring it into the fold of his you know architect mind mm-hmm. and his engineering and bringing mm-hmm. it into the house of cardiff and being like okay here's what I've come up with, you know, like a lot of the dimensions and everything were very similar, same to mine, mm-hmm. my shape that I came up with, yeah. you know, he added a couple things like the wing pin, which was like nice, you yes. know, from my surfing background, I was like, nice touch, Sam. And he's like, yeah, it looks good. And I was like, yeah, looks amazing. Hey, what's you know, the, and sorry, what that does. What's the wing pin? So the wing pin on the swell. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of this, if you follow the edge down, it comes to a point and then yeah. it goes in to the tail, which is a pintail. Oh yeah. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Wing pin. So it's big in surfing, but what it, it, the application, 
the application with that board is it elongates the effective edge, therefore giving you a longer ride when you're on edge, right? Because with the 30 mils of taper in the back and the tail for powder use, yeah, of course, you know, 318 across the nose. You know, in two eight two eighty eight point nine in the tail with the thirty mils of taper, the tail drops while the nose pops. I love that shape. I'm looking at I'm just TM. dreaming yeah. about this fucking <laughs> board right now, man. <laughs> yeah. And the graphics. Have you seen sweet. have you seen Love Guru? No. Love Guru with Mike Myers. Yeah. You've never seen Mike Myers, Love have. Guru? I have not seen Love Guru. Oh, man. <laughs> Where he, every time he says something he goes, TM, like he like trademarks like whatever he <laughs> right, says because right, right. he's a love guru. So where, where the nose pops and the tail drops, the, the, <laughs> so the, with that board, it's like, it's proven that that board works. And with the combination of the side cut radius and the way that board's built, mm-hmm. it can handle itself on steeps, mm-hmm. like in couloirs. So for me, it's like when I'm doing jump turns and really steep couloirs, I don't necessarily want to jump way up and get the tail around. Right. Right where you need to like leap into outer space and then come back down on really steep terrain. Like a couple people know it's really scary once you leave the ground. Right. And so I wanted something that I could get around pretty easy and the 30 mils of taper and the tail allow that it doesn't hang up. Exactly. You know, where if you have like a, like a, a twinish shape, you know, the tail kind of hooks up at that contact point well, you and can, you're mindful every time that you got to get that around exactly and also the way that uh, you're talking about the swell right well i'm c- talking about other boards but i'm talking about the swell yeah yeah because even the way the, the um, side cut is set up it's way back which would allow that to happen as well you can cut over quite easily with that yeah and it's got a nice setback on it too yeah i can see that yeah. i'm looking at the pictures right now yeah. nice no i've i've yeah it's like i've always been kind of like the goat which one do i go with because i already have a um I'm a 56 Jones hovercraft split and that's, yeah. it's, it's good for pow, but it's not, yeah. it's not if it's, you know, not deep, you know, it's not really, there's a lot of nose. So you need to have something a little bit more, not necessarily twin, but not such a nose on it. Right. I was looking at the pow yeah. at, the, at the goat myself. Yeah. The goat or the crane, the crane. um, well, would we, be like kind of more of a directional twin shape. Yeah. Um, if you want something that's a little bit in a different genre, yeah. um, that's good for all conditions. I mean, but the, the swell's great for all conditions too. I mean, that thing's a ripper. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really, like when I brought, when I started making boards, it's like, I wanted something to turn, yeah, you know, yeah, no question that I can rip down a groomer, like either coming in from the back country or just riding, riding a groomer or riding with the guys, like on a ride day, you know, like I want something that can perform on the ground how does that so, how does that board carve in the pow like can you lay out big carves with that board oh it, yeah yeah eh? oh yeah haven't you seen my he's, pictures he's got, hard, <laughs> he's, got, he's got hard boots and uh yeah he's got his background in gs of course Come on. yeah i'm digging that board <laughs> <laughs> so what uh what's your capacity with cardiff um well right now we're kind of wearing all hats um but my official title is director of education events and outreach so what that encompasses is a lot of the demo programs onboarding for athletes working with bjorn and marketing working with the whole team 
Um, but mostly like the demo program, any like backcountry skills programs that we'll be building out this year. Who's you guys again? No, no, we're here. Okay, sorry. Um, and building out like a skills program this year. Um, not only will I be overseeing that, but we'll be working with local guides and personalities around the Wasatch and regionally. And then outreach is just basically getting the word out and working hand in hand with the community. I have a lot of programs, you know, with youth that I want to implement um, to get them snowboarding and with the next generation and, and just working, you know, with various programs like that. Oh, very cool. So where would you be doing that at with the, with the kids? Like local. Uh, hills? That would be at, Br- yeah, local Hills, Brighton specifically. I mean, really, Probably Brighton's been our home, so that's easy. It's turnkey. I've been working with Brighton for for a very long time. So is that so. a thing like that program with the kids? Is that taking like never ever's type or or kids that are? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, kids that are intro into snowboarding. Yeah, intro into splitboarding. I want to get it. You know, like you now, like because of where we're at age wise, a lot of us have kids. Yes, you know, and we and. Yep. <laughs> as as families like we're all about family you know it's not so much a business and it's not employees we're the card of family you know and Sweet. sam with his family is very family oriented and i think we are too like in in our foundation in our roots in our methodology in our like just way of thinking on, in general is all about family it's like how can we support our community just a little bit more and me from my instructional educator guide background i love introducing people to new things and seeing them light up because of it so whether it's you know doing beacon clinics or companion rescue for the youth and families or never ever's getting them out and getting them on a snowboard or intro to splitboarding like those are all of our programs that will be starting to roll out here very soon. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed that back in the nineties doing those demos and getting out there and getting the name out. It was lots of fun getting, pe- seeing people face to face, shaking hands and seeing the smile on their face. And they come back riding the board going, man, this thing was awesome. You can't, you can't, you can't buy that kind of uh, energy back that the, the people give you from riding your snowboards. No, we, we got, you know, Bjorn, JMO, me, Neil, when he was available, it's like we get juiced, you know, like when we, mm-hmm. when we see that reaction. For sure. Um, you know, I, I get specifically juiced when someone comes back and says, the swell changed my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Okay, you enough know. already. I want to buy a swell. I, all I, right, I, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I can actually carve one. But it's just, but uh, you know, to tie into that, it's like, yeah, it's like that's why we do it. It's like the hands-on approach and that experience. You can't replace that. You can't say, yeah. hey, you should buy this board because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. It's like we gotta, you gotta ride the equipment. So I'm curious because you're talking about the kids and and the programs and and intro to splitboarding. Is Cardiff planning on doing kid size split boards or do you, are you guys already doing that? Uh, we're doing sizes that like for will, women that will work for kids too. Like, and I, and geez, you know, yeah, like, no, 
we're not yeah like the kids like that's down the line and yes i think that's definitely it's always been something that's been on sam's mind was really building boards for his kids i mean that's the whole reason why not only to build boards for him but that's always been his focus and so it remains to be our focus we just need to grow you know accordingly so when i say kids i say I'm thinking more like teenagers. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Or, fair enough. Cause or I, like, cause I'm a dad. Like I would love to get like little four and five year olds out there, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> tow, and have the parents towing them around. And then, this is my first board that my kid ever, you know, like those experiences, like, yeah. but we're just, unfortunately we're just not, we can't warrant like making like, 95, 110, 120 kind of thing. No, 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 no. I wouldn't expect yeah. that, but I was, I was just wondering like split boards in the one thirties type of thing, you know, like in that size, because, well, let me put it this way. I'm a dad. I've got four kids, all four of my kids shred, not any of them split board though. You know, however, my oldest daughter, who's now 18, I mean, she has a huge interest in getting out into the back country and doing some split boarding. So I'd love to get her out there. Um, You know, she's riding roughly 140. She could probably handle something in a 50, you know, yeah. backcountry for sure. No problem. Cause she shreds. She knows how to ride. She's a good rider for sure. Um, yeah, I've just been kind of curious cause the other part of me is not just a dad, but I'm also a coach with our local snowboard club and mm-hmm. the head coach and I were out the other day and we were just chatting about the next season coming up and we were talking about potentially maybe having a splitboard element to next season. So, yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're already going into those smaller sizes anyway. Yeah. Um, how far we go is just another question. We need to run the numbers on it. And it's, you know, it's got to be a good business move. Oh, for absolutely. Cardiff. Yeah. Um, for 148, 152. I mean, those are all sizes right now that we can work with. Well, I see the crane comes in a 46. Yeah. For yeah. example. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sweet, so sweet, nice. sweet, sweet. So let's, uh, if we can shift gears a little bit, uh, Max, because. Yeah. Because you obviously have a shit load of, of <laughs> backcountry touring experience. So one of the things that Chad and I have been talking about from the very beginning with everybody is is kind of like that touring day. How does that set up for you? How do you prep for that day in the backcountry with regards to avalanche conditions exactly. and weather, like pr- yeah. pre-planning, going through all that? And then we want to go through like soup to nuts, man. We want to know like what – what do you carry in your pack and what are the essential items for you, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if we could hit on that. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, let's see. So I'm out pretty much every day in the wintertime. So yeah, that I've got suck. my, <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't suck at all. Um, someone's got to do it, but yeah. I, I, my grasp of what's going on as far as the snow is more like you just call Craig Gordon. No, it's more like I could do, (laughs) I could do my own forecasting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it's like Utah Abbey, awesome resource, like all the different avalanche centers, awesome resources and everyone all over should support your local avalanche center um, with everything that you have and can give. So that resource is indispensable. So with that said, like, um, I'm out all the time. So I have a really great grasp on, on the snow conditions. So for me, it's like, I look at weather 
and like wind and like the intricacies of maybe what's transpired overnight, density of snow, how much wind loading is taken into effect, like what's, you know, on these slopes, you know, and so that will determine where I go and what aspect I ride. Um, you know, as things start mellowing out and snow really starts bonding and becoming more homogenous and locked up, then I'll start doing bigger ascents, like bigger faces, bigger couloirs, bigger peaks. Um, but generally as the season starts on, you know, I, I, I take it kind of easy and work into it. You know, we, they're called the Rocky Mountains for a reason. So (laughs) we have to take it, you know, one, you know, a big two foot dump on our, on a scree field is nothing, you know, especially with, with our conditions. So, you know, you have to take it easy in Utah and, um, with a continental snowpack from the beginning, let it build, have a long riding season. So those are a lot of like snow conditions, avalanche conditions, aspects, like underlying conditions and geography. Those are the things that I think about like going into the season. Mm-hmm. And then as we get into like the, the depth of the season, we're talking like mid January, February, March, then it's, then it's kind of fine tuning my days. Like I'll go after more of my objectives of what I have lined out um, and start checking the box for lines that I just love that are my classics, but also start thinking about going to areas um, that are good strike missions. And so that like, say for instance, if I'm jumping off into the Tetons, then I'm reaching out to my resources up there and I'm like, all right guys, what's going on? Oh, Hey gals, what's going on up there? You know, what, what's really turning good? You know, what's the peaks that I should be shooting for? So really that touching kind of thing. base with the locals and, and getting the feel from them about what's been happening. Because the one of the terms that's come up recently for us was the history of the snow in the area, right? And Yeah. And and how things generally, you can expect things to to react. Sorry, I didn't. I said that in a kind of fucked up way. And so you no, that was get good. a general idea of how <laughs> things will react in that area based on conditions, correct? Yeah, nothing, nothing replaces like local knowledge no, and right. someone that is, that is out a lot. Right. You know, so for a lot of people, I'm that local resource, right? So I like to have people in different zones that I could reach out to and go, Hey, how's it going? You know, what's, what's the snow doing? And, and so that, so I would say where you start is one, you need your skill set or your education and your tools. Right. And then you reach out to those resources, the forecast center, bulletins, and then you have the human one on one interaction where you can reach out, whether it's through Instagram or Facebook or just a DM and then get more information. So it's like layers to the onion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. To get to get a big picture of like what's going on. And then once you get there, then you have a kind of a grasp on on the conditions, but then you're also going to want to get your hands in the snow, you know, and dig as many pits as you can in certain aspects, um, and elevations just to get your own facts. Absolutely. So, um, so, yeah. so yeah, you, you build all that up. Can I ask just on a quick side note, do you ever do any solo missions? All the time. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, get, I, I get berated opinions. a lot yeah. <laughs> because 
I am like, you know, it's kind of funny, the wolf of the Wasatch or the lone wolf or whatever, you know, has come up recent in the last, <laughs> right. you know, but I do go out alone. You know, that's what I love about snowboarding. Yeah. Whether you now, whether you should, don't take this as advice that you should go alone too. And I'll repeat that. No one should go into the backcountry alone. Yeah, but we've all heard I know, that before. <laughs> I know the Wasatch and I've been in the Wasatch for a long time. And I've been in the Wasatch at a myriad of different levels of X, you know, what am I trying to say? Um, education or expertise. Can, can I so, put it, can I put it this way? If, and you tell me if I'm hitting it on the head or not, but you know your area, you know where you're going, you know what aspects you're riding and you know what's yes. manageable solo and, and when not to go solo, right? Yeah, because right. you know that yeah, territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. I don't want to sound too cocky, but yeah, I do. No, well, that makes and sense. I mean, that you makes have to know where you're going or else you're going to get yeah. eaten by it. That entirely makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Listen, you. you know, it, I kind of experienced that in my scuba diving career a little bit too, because where I grew up scuba diving was the Atlantic Ocean. You know, yeah. and, it, and it was a lot of diving where, aside from the rules, and I was a, snow, a, a scuba instructor, you know, we always taught buddy diving. You always had to have yeah. a buddy with you to back you up. But, man, we did a shitload of solo diving. It's yeah. just the way It's just the way it worked sometimes, you know. Yeah. But, again, it was all because you knew your gear, you knew your limits, and you knew your territory. So you knew how to manage it. Is there risk? Sure. There's always, always risk. Yes. But – but you know when to when when it's okay to do because the risk is low. Yeah, and that with the risk factor and factoring that into it, like I'll tone it tone it back. Like of course. there'll be days that I'll just, you know, go up to Cardiff Pass and just rip a couple laps, you know? And days like that where it's just super chill, you know, mm -hmm. and keep my angles down. Absolutely. And be very cognizant of the hazards around me and any hang fire or, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. You know? Right. So now you're out there and you're skinning, whether solo or with a group. Um, mm -hmm. What uh, what's what's in, your what's in your pack? What do you like to carry? So aside from the, the beacon probe shovel, you know, all that basic stuff, do you carry for communications um, when you're in a group setting, do you like to communicate with the rest of the group via radio or no? And when you're solo or even still in that group situation, do you carry something like a Garmin inReach? Um, yeah, nothing, nothing like that because only on like more remote regions, um, would I carry anything that can transmit like an SOS or a location in need of rescue. Right. Um, I don't really bring radios unless we're shooting. Okay. Um, the generally the groups, they're like, unless you're tra traveling across something that warrants going from an island of safety to an island of safety w with mitigating the risks of crossing like a big bowl, all the groups are pretty much within, you know, line of sight. Six, six foot plus, you know, like mm -hmm. six to 10 feet within, you know, distance from one to the other. Right. So, it's not really that far to warrant bringing radios. Cool. Now, um, that's, that's interesting because one of, in, in a lot of people that we're talking to, especially down in your neck of the woods, 
mm-hmm. because in, in our neck of the woods, it's definitely way different. When we're in the backcountry up here, there's little to no signal whatsoever via cell phone. So no. we never have that option is very low for us here. Um, yeah. Whereas like more in your zone, it seems like in, in your part of the country and, and the backcountry, I guess the population density is good enough and the tower density is good enough that you guys always seem to be able to catch a signal with your phones. Yeah, having a strong cell signal in and around where I'm based out of, for the most part, is not a problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Up yeah. I'm, u- I'm usually updating my Instagram while I'm skinning. I didn't notice that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Instagram live. I'm dropping into this cool bar. I've been watching. I've been watching, dude. I've been watching. I've been watching. Yeah. No, you got some sick adventures going on. That's for sure. What about uh, so the rest of your pack, Max? Like, is there, yeah. Do you when it comes to what do you like to eat during the day? Do you eat during the day? Because some people don't like to carry food. Some people like to carry water. Some people don't like to carry water some people like bladders (laughs) some people like bottles what's your what are your preferences on all that um well i've learned over the years that like a a good nalgene is the way to go camelbacks don't really work the line will freeze and ends up spilling all over your pack or it ruptures it's just so so what's in my backpack is extra large nalgene um i generally make my own snack bars um sweet so I have a couple recipes. Uh, if I don't, then, you know, like I'll go with, uh, like a traditional backcountry bar. Um, and then, you know, have like different, you know, kind of like higher octane, what I call foods that like are shot blocks or goose or anything like that, that I'll have a couple of those just to kind of just boost my levels up again. Just for that um, instant, yeah, like charging. Yeah, kind of just to get me up that next 3,000 vert. Kind of like but a nitrous bottle. Exactly. <laughs> I hit the button. That's and right. Then, and then, for, but for me, breakfast is a big thing. So, like, I'll, like, if I know I'm going on a big mission the next day, like, I'll eat a good meal the night before yep. and hydrate the next the night before and then – and then eat a good breakfast. Yeah. And so then I don't have to bring like, I'm always jealous of like my friends that bring like sandwiches in the backcountry. I'm like, oh, that, <laughs> that looks really good. <laughs> you know, like the meatball sub. I'm like, oh, that looks really good right now. I love but that. I, so, I love, we were, we were watching Roadless and they're out in the backcountry in the, uh, in the Togedy Pass area. You know the movie, Roadless? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I get obviously it's spring and they're talking about bear movement and Travis Rice is like, and I'm carrying a ten pound kielbasa sausage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, so Travis, you hang back towards the That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You're the bear bait. You we'll stay for bait. Stay downwind. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah, it's like, you know, day tours and expeditions and camping trips, like they're all different, like on nutritional Absolutely. needs and Absolutely. like what you bring. Well, but for I, my day the day trips, it's Sorry, everybody's different, right? Everybody has a different sense of what they want and what they need, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why we like to ask the question. So yeah, so I cut you off when you were saying about your day trips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then you know um, I'm big on emergency response, so like a really well stocked light first aid kit, um, and then I have like a small bivy sack that works in case of an incident, um, for warmth and shelter. So I'll carry that, um, extra batteries, like 10 essentials. We all know what those are. 
if you don't, um, it's generally map, compass, fire starter, knife, you know, etc. So I'll have those in a little kit that I have in my pack that's always there. Um, and then if it's springtime, I'll have like uh, skin wax that I'll incorporate in. Um, I have like an emergency light. That's a big strobe that I, that I always carry that you can turn it on in case of emergency and even at night or day. Cool. That's a um, first. That's the first. You're the first person to mention that one to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I have like ribbon that, you know, I can tie out in case like a helicopter needs to land or something like that. So they can see wind or direction ju- and all that. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Wind direction or mark out, mark out like an LZ. Right. Usually stomping out something and works just as good, but just for kicks, I bring that. And then let's see what else. Just kind of like the Karakorum tool. I'll bring that for the bindings. Couple, you know, a couple extra screws, that kind of thing, anything. And whether it's like w- whatever bindings I'm using, like always bring like extra set of screws. Um, and then like I'll bring something fun, like when I'm out with my friends, like little snacks, like gummy bears or <laughs> you know candy and i've been known to i thought you're gonna that. i thought you say oh, i've always got a kite in my bag <laughs> yeah <laughs> throw up a kite who wants the express ride down that's right you know and i'll like put them in the snow you know as i'm like skinning up and it's, like, little, right. snack, yeah, little yeah, snacks sure. from nice and then uh extra gloves um extra gloves are a big thing for me because i have cold hands growing up in maine so my hands get really cold. So I hate wet gloves. Yeah. And I usually go through different layers, do it different thicknesses of gloves. So when I'm skinning, those are my skinning gloves. Yeah. When I'm riding, those are my riding gloves. And I'll do it with my eyewear too. Like I'll generally be skinning up with sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm riding, I'll be riding with my goggles on. Absolutely. So uh, what else? And then like a puffy. You know, depending on what time of year it is, obviously. Um, but I'll bring like an extra layer. You know, just if we're going to stand around and dig a pit, I can throw that puffy on real quick. And yeah, because you you tour up in a in a wife beater, right? And then you drop down. Yeah, you totally. Throw like that puffy guns on out for transition, and that's right. <laughs> that's what Valerie keeps saying. Valerie Black. Yeah, Valerie, she's, yeah, she's like sure. fucking pants are rolled up, shirts off. It's oh like, yeah, oh. Valerie's all about her tank tops on the on the. T- this is good climb. Classic. <laughs> That's sweet. Classic so do you, do you find yourself, um, do you find yourself digging a pit every time? Yes. No. Depends on um, the day. Usually hasties, on. right? So yeah. it's, it's whatever has fallen recently. Right. Cause I, I keep a good log and in the early, like I used to bring like a full on snow science kit. When I was like a student and I was going through all the different levels, like right. the Rochebach uh, cord and the loop and the oh yeah, yeah the whole like deal. everything, the yeah, brush, yeah. the thermometers, you know, like you know, way to look at the snow, <laughs> the book, you know, identifying snow crystals and what the abbreviations are, and then writing out the logs, you know, because when I was when I was learning and going through the different levels, you had to have documentation to that. Yeah, right. and right. and so when I went through my one, two, and three. When I roll into my next course, you know, it was a little bit loose in the nineties, but it was like, okay, bring your book, bring your pit book, you know, and if you didn't have your set amount of pits that you need to dig in between course to course, then you had to really get after it. Um, so 
I used to bring that and that was just extra weight. <laughs> yeah, as far as like, like airbags and stuff like that, uh, I, don't, I haven't really delved into the airbag, um, thing. You know, I can, I can see a use for that. Like maybe if I'm heli skiing somewhere, then I'll wear one. Um, I'll also bring like a BD Avalon, you know, in certain times of the year and strap that on, uh, to my pack. Okay. You know, so that'll be, yeah, yeah. Very familiar with that. So now that you've mentioned those, I got to ask, have you been involved in any incidents? Yeah, have you, has huge, anything, yeah. have you ever, uh, from whatever side of it as a victim, as a rescuer, mm-hmm. as an observer, uh, give us a, give in, us at least a, in 26 a years of split boarding. Yeah. Never. No, I'm kidding. That was that me would be, knocking on wood for you. Yeah, that would be like that would be like wow. You either stay below thirty degrees or you're very lucky. Um, uh, yes, I have, and I think anyone that is getting this many days in the backcountry that is doing it for this long, it's gonna happen. If they haven't gotten one, they're either lying. Or like I said, they're staying below 30 degrees. It's not about it. It happens, yeah. happens to everybody. Like, and you just hope it, that it doesn't happen where it's fatal or right. it's fatal for one of your, one of your backcountry partners. Um, with that said, like I've been in around a lot of incidences. I've been a first responder on a handful of accidents and it has really opened my eyes to what happens in the backcountry. And how long it takes to get a response when it's potentially fatal. Right. And so for, for me, that's always in the back of my mind. Always. Like I'm very calculated, very safe. Like some people would say, Max, you're way too safe. But then some people would be like, wow, you're way too reckless. Right. right. So, you know, I like to walk that line and I want, and I tell everybody this, like I want a long life of splitboarding. Mm-hmm. I want to be doing this for a long, I want to be like the Fred Becky of splitboarding, you know, not, not necessarily standing on the side of the road and saying, I will set a skin track for food, but, or sleeping in the park with nothing, but like God love Fred, you know, it's like, he was such a pioneering force in climbing. I kind of want to be that same guy in splitboarding. Sweet. And if I, and if I can, you know, then yeah, so be absolutely. it. Absolutely. Nice. I don't know. That's uh, you just, you just <laughs> have this is standstill. Holy crap! You, got, you have a lot of information. It's been fantastic for what you brought to this this podcast here. What, I, what's, I was not expecting this, but that's what, that's a good thing. What? Yeah, we never got into like my avalanche background and teaching the well, first I read first ever snowboard it. avalanche specific course at Brighton or any of that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I read a little bit of the bio you sent us, which was fantastic. But that's you know. We, uh, you definitely got it a lot more in- interesting than I expected, which is good. Yeah, good. Very good. Well, let's get into a little bit of that. Like what, uh, what, what is your history in that? Um, so when I first, when I first moved out to Utah, um, I had been going in the backcountry quite a bit. Like I grew up and started snowboarding in the White Mountains and Mount Washington was my go-to. So being in, the remote backcountry was, you know, really familiar to me. Now, and now I got to ask you a little bit about that because I, you know, obviously I did a little bit of living on the east, and uh, 
in my 20s, I did do a through hike of the Appalachian Trail. So I went over that in the summer. I got to see what the conditions were like there. I saw Tuckerman's, you know, yeah. in the summer, in the summer months and what that area was like. And I've obviously heard, you know, the legendary drop of Tuckerman's Ravine and all that good stuff. But I didn't realize because I didn't become a backcountry rider till I moved out west here, I had no idea what there is out east for backcountry. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I think you touched on that in, in a previous podcast with like, where do you ride back east? Or was it with Ross, I think? But um I think so. Yes. There's a lot like the White Mountains are really stacked. Like like Franconia Notch, Pinkham Notch, oh, yeah. like those those areas in New Hampshire were like in my backyard. And so there was like, you know, little fire roads here and there off different peaks. Um, like literally in my backyard in Bridgeton, but like I could always see the glistening white bowls of, of the white mountains off in the distance. So that was my focus. Like I was like, and I used to hike them with my family and go up and hike them when I was a teenager in the summertime. So I was like, that's where I gravitated to. And there was one year, I think I took a split decision back there in the really early years and skinning up wow. to the base of Tux. And I'm passing all these like really crunchy granola telemark no skis. Shit. And they're all like, <laughs> one, one fat skis weren't even a thing. Right. And two, they were like, what is that? And I'm like, it's called a split board. And they're like, a split what? And I'm like, a split board. <laughs> and so it was literally like everyone would stop me. Like I'd get by them and they're like, what's that thing? And I have to stop and I felt obligated to tell him, you know, as the like consummate ambassador to Volé. And I was like, (laughs) but I was like, Hey, I'd really like to talk to you, but I want to get going. Like it was literally like every person would stop me like, what's that? I'm like, it's a split board. I got to go. And so I was going up into, into Tuckerman's and Huntington, like in the early nineties and going up there and split boarding. And so when, when I came, and that was to go back for like a year when I was living out, out west. But then I went back out to Utah and got a job at the Alta Peruvian Lodge as a dishwasher in January. <laughs> there you go. And soon after, I got busted for dropping into Alta. Oh, no shit. From Snowbird. <laughs> and so back then, that was like a huge no-no. Right. And not, and I was living at Alta, but I had a snowbird pass. And, and so long story short, uh, Anno, which was the head of the ski patrol at Alta, he, he pulled me aside and he says, look, if you're going to be doing this, you need to get the education necessary to keep you alive. Because by that time I hadn't taken an Abbey class. I was savvy in the backcountry, but I needed an AVI and snow science knowledge. And at that point, he put me on a path, which I thank him to this day. Like, thank you for doing that. Because I went and got my level one, a level two, a level three through Rod Newcombs. And now uh, Sarah and Cruz courses up in Jackson. And that was my foundation. My one was at Alta, my two was at Jackson, and my three was at Berthoud Pass. And what and what, what year was your one? Oh, I think it was ninety five. Shit. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. 
90, it was right after I started splitboarding. Right. So it was like 94, 95. And then my two was the next year. My three was the next year. And I was the only snowboarder in, in the courses. Like it was all skiers. Of course. So right there, they were like hugely skeptical. Yeah. They're like, who is it? And, I, and I'd be going out on my splitboard and they're like, what are you doing? You know, why aren't you on skis? And that was the mentality back then. Right. It was always the mentality is like, hey, if you want to do this, you want to be a professional at this, yeah. you need the ski patrol. Yeah. You need to be a skier. If you wanted to be an AMGA, go through the AMGA courses, you need to do it on skis. And at that point, I was like, no, I want to do it on my split. And I want, I was trying out for all these, these guide courses and I guide, guide tryouts to become a guide. And they're like, no, you can't do it on a split. And I'm like, why? Well, because you can't travel as fast as us. And I'm like, watch me. Yeah. I'm like, watch me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So why you know, does it, you and, know what, you know what I'm curious about? Why does that have to be about, you can't go as fast. Yeah. Why does that have to be fucking fast? Like, and how much slower? I don't know. I guess the whole subject frustrates me a little bit because it's not always about speed out there, right? And I mean, yeah, you do want to move efficiently and you do want to clip along, but you don't have to be the fastest guy out there, do you? And then splitboarders are generally not that much slower than skiers, if any, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all all pretty much a level playing field now. Um, And and to to elaborate a little bit, I don't think it was as fast – I mean, the transitions were slower. Sure. Obviously, right? Skiing, you can traverse out, whereas a split, you'd have to like maybe transition into split mode and go. Right. Um, getting into different terrain, obviously, you can do it better as a skier than you could as splitboarder. And so I think that was the big concern. Um, but I was like, well, you need to keep the group together, right? So what's like an extra 30 to 45 to a minute right. of time that it takes? But then they were like, as a guide, you're like, well, you need to be faster and stronger than your clients. And you need to be better at the use of your equipment, right? So, I mean, now it's like, when I was 20, I was like, that's bullshit, you know? (laughs) Like, anti-authority, that's bullshit. I can go fast. I can can go wherever you go. Watch me. But now, as I've matured, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. You know, back then... It definitely, like we did, we did the first ever, like we tried to incorporate split boards into Ski Utah Interconnect. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. Where they go from Park City to Snowbird, or Snowbird to Park City. And they link up all the ski resorts in oh, one no day. Oh, shit. Yeah, so they do it, ski, skiers only, right? And the guides, amazing guides, they got it all worked out, where to go, where to pick up, where to transition and all that. And so I was like, we could do this on split boards and start incorporating split boarders. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really, it was kind of tough. Like one of the guys that I had, uh, come out, I won't mention his name cause he'd be embarrassed, but he, <laughs> he know if he's ever listening to this, Dan, you'll know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he was like just moaning the whole trip. Like, Oh my God, this is so slow. It doesn't work. Eh, this and that. And it separated the group. So unfortunately it was, it didn't quite work at the time i think now it would just because of the advent of new technology right. and how technology and splitboarding is caught up to skiing well and the and the number of people getting into it now are just, it's exponentially growing right yeah yeah and now guides i mean there's so many guides at exum 
Yeah. That, that they do a lot of split boarding, yep. you know, and Kelly does a lot of split board instruction through his program. You know, that's non axum but a separate entity altogether. And, and so, you know, there's a lot more opportunity for split boarders to get the education and to be accepted into the fold. And I'm like, bravo, you know, thank you. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, paving that road was really tough. No, you know, no, for all, yeah. for everyone that came out ahead of everyone now, it was like, you know, buy that person a beer. <laughs> Cause it was really difficult to change the, the mindset of the old guard. Well, you know, and, and, uh, it seems to me we gotta, we gotta give some accolade to guys like Jeremy Jones and Travis Rice for really putting splitboarding kind of on the market Gooch, that way too Gooch publicly, well. right? Like just getting yeah. out there with content that was reaching the masses. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because it's like our po- our little podcast right here, right? Like we're niche specific, right? Like our numbers, are you know are people who splitboard and and who are into splitboarding right we're not reaching the rest of the world yet <laughs> with yeah. with the content but but those guys through those avenues definitely why you know it just happened it just exploded out that way and i think it uh it, it brought a lot of light to this niche of the sport yeah absolutely so yep. where and it, and it did at the same time where it was just really taken off too it has. right it has. and it was more acceptable to go into the backcountry and this is how you got there yeah right. yeah. yeah and now you got uh tons of people just wanting to get out there and do it so now mm-hmm. we got guys like you who are, are are you actively teaching avi courses now no not actively um i ran I, yeah i am really busy with of cardiff course. and what and what will incorporate uh, potentially what Bjorn and I have been talking about is we'll incorporate, uh, a backcountry portion or a backcountry arm of Cardiff into the fold of Cardiff. And because we, we want people to be safe. We want people to have good education and a good foundation to go out safely. And And so fun when you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just to be mindful exactly. of what's going on around you. Yeah. A lot of people go out and they're like, oh, I'm not mindful. Uh, what's, hey, let's drop that couloir. You know, <laughs> like, let's drop that face. And it's yeah. like, like, you know, I'm sorry, but like, man, today, like so many kids are so fueled up on Instagram re- recognition that yeah. they're not being smart about what they're doing. No. And it's like, I'm not going to generalize anybody or call anybody out, but it's like, get, like, it's okay. It's not a race. You know, you don't need to be the first. You don't need to be the best. You don't need to be, you know, well, maybe you do, but it's like, and it's good being first, but well, you it's know, it like, is- you don't, there's no race. Like there's no finish. The only finish line is when you're in a coffin because you didn't make a good decision. Oh, you know, it's like, yeah. you got, yeah. you got to be smart because it's all about having fun and, and getting out as many days. As, and I see like, this new wave of like, check my GoPro out or check what I did out. And it's like, I see kids in the Wasatch just getting flushed, you know, because they're making bad decisions. Right. They're so gung ho. Well, it's the, like, the accessibility is, it's a little too free and, and it's hard to police, right? I mean, shit. Talked about this a whole bunch of times, <laughs> but, but it is, right? Cause you can, cause a guy can go to the shop and buy all the gear without yeah. any of the training. 
and think he's safe, right? I've got my force field now. I got yeah, my exactly. airbag. I've got my beacon. I've got my Garmin inReach. I'm fucking good, man. Mm-hmm. What's to stop me? I'm just going to get out there and get it. Now, yeah. now I've got my little satellite device that links my phone to the rest of the world. So now I can be posting that I'm dropping, you know, and and doing yeah. that. I know I joked a little bit about the Instagram live thing before, but let's face it, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is today. It is what's yeah. going on today. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Everybody needs to get educated. And, and I think question. it's fucking stellar that companies like that. You guys are thinking about that at Cardiff, right? Yeah. About getting that backcountry education part out there as well. I think so. Yeah, and there's, there's other companies that you know realize that as well, and it's and it's and it's great to see. It's it's great to see that that's built into the brand. I think so, I think we need yeah. to promote that as a culture Absolutely. in this in this sport. Right? Is that uh, you know the safety is just as paramount as the best gear or getting the best terrain or the first descent. There's, mm-hmm. That's funny, man, because this this subject came up the other day. I was talking to a buddy of mine and. You know, there's a guy around here local talking about getting first descents of rivers as he's pack rafting and shit. Like, and I was thinking about it the other day. Like, good for you. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. But it's really all about just posting it that you got it. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's more important? I mean, I mean, that's that's like when you get to that skill level, and that's what needs to balance out, right? You have high skill level with low knowledge, right? So you have to bring that level of knowledge up to meet your skill level. And then you're, and then you're much better off than you would have been without it. But yeah, like everyone that gets to that expert level or that elite level, you're, you're, you're looking at the next thing that you can do. Cause I think everybody, everybody wants to be loved, right? Everyone wants to be recognized. Everybody wants to be admired. It's like basic human. Mm-hmm. Like psychology yep. or just basic human emotions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We all want to, we all want to feel connected. And, and that's what you guys are doing with this. Like you're connecting everybody, which is awesome. And I love it. Thank you. Well, thanks. And, that's, yeah. and, that's, and more importantly, what we're focusing on, what we really want people to do is to be safer absolutely. and to get more knowledge. And that's the reason this that happened. is the core of why we started this podcast, because yeah. the two of us need to learn a bunch. Absolutely. You know, and so yeah. we, we figured what a better way to learn than to get to talk to guys like yourself yeah. who yeah. have that experience. And I know social media has it out there and I can take courses and, you know, but, but still, you know, like I know as a scuba instructor and as a, as a, a student in an AVI course that the best way to get that knowledge is from the stories and the history and the experience of the people who have been there before you. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're after. And we want people to be safe and we want people to learn from this. So we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all this. This has been awesome. You're welcome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm an always like a open resource to anyone. It's like, I'm not that, that, like a uh, personality on Instagram where you DM and I never get back to you. Right. Yeah. You know, I have people reaching out to me all the time be like, nice. Hey, I got this question or That's awesome. Hey, can you help me out with this? And it's like, I'll always respond. Yeah. Killer man. That's Fucking awesome. awesome. Yeah. What, well, uh, what does the future have for Max? What's, yeah. what's immediately ha- going to happen down Ooh. the road? What do you, what is the wolf of the Wasatch planning <laughs> for the <laughs> upcoming season, man. Yeah. I want to know. Um, I want to know. Well, we're following you, know, first, you on Instagram and we're seeing your adventures and man, some of the photography too is fucking amazing. It is. So, oh, thanks. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all on the iPhone. 
Dude, well, that's so, a fucking way better right. iPhone than I got, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's in store for the future? Um, well, I'm getting into cryptocurrency. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am getting into that, but it's Fuck, like you have to. Do we'll this, talk about that right? afterwards. Yeah, we'll talk yeah, about that. That's a sad, Chad and that's I are a, both doing that too. But but what <laughs> we're talking episode. about splitboarding. I want to know. <laughs> yes, I, obviously you got your Cardiff plans, and everybody fucking pay attention to Cardiff Snowcraft, dude. We'll talk about how to to find them at the end here. But man, some sick sick stuff, which is pretty cool going on. But but yeah, what uh, what's Max got on the plans? I so, mean, it's a weird a, world we're in now, right? So. It is a very weird world. Um, and I think it's important to realize that it's all an adjustment and mm-hmm. we're adapting to this new world that we're living in. And that's what we're doing, um, specifically with all our outreach and our demo programs. Um, and we're, we're going ahead full steam. You know, it's like people are going to want to get into the backcountry more and more no, and no, that's yes. our focus yep. is to to make sure that we are a leader in the industry that allows that um as a resource and and with equipment so that with me is like with my position like my focus on events my focus on education my focus on outreach has never been more important uh with cardiff uh that's kind of the business end thing working with my sponsors and my companies that are new and old and supporting them and strengthening them any way I can. Mm-hmm. Um, because they do so much for me and I hope that I do as much for them in return. Um, and my personal goals, um, you know, will always be going bigger and bigger, nice. like as far as further, deeper, higher no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) love you jer um but yeah like you know he he nailed it it's like that is what you do as you progress and it's like for me it's like um you know i got reignited on the 50 classics when chris davenport came down to this luxury ranch that i was working at and i worked with him and his crew for dispatches for outside tv and he sent me his book signed and and i was like just flipping through because i didn't own it i'd always looked at it online or looked at it when i could and i was like oh god there's a lot of lines <laughs> and some of them i had done already you know like from tux to to horseman's peak and to local utah lines you know all over and i'm like there's so many that i haven't done and you know, Noah Howell is a local skier legend. Um, and he's been on that drive for a long time. And he's been very influential with his ski mountaineering that he's motivated me a lot. And so I'm like, man, I need to get on this. So the 50 classics is kind of like my new or not new, but newly fueled um, motivation to get those as many as I can. I'd love to get them all. We'll see. Time will tell. Sweet. Is that um, the, is that the same thing Cody Townsend's doing? Yeah. He's got yeah. his little YouTube series and he's cranking away on that. And I think he's got what, 20 of them or so done. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'll do a YouTube series. I guess, I, you know, if someone wants to climb with me and film me as I'm doing them, I would, Hey, DM me, hit me up. 
you know, like, I'd love to have you along for the ride. Um, we did a little video over three of them where I went to Idaho and Colorado. Sweet. Nice. And did that. Um, and I was like, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, let's keep it going. And so, yeah, we'll see. That's, that's like the next wave of progression for me is being able to carve that time out and have that time to get those lines. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how many I get done, but it's also to go in to zones and pick out lines for myself too. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, from the whole arc of this, you know, I've done a lot of, you know, first descents on a, in a lot of different re- regions of the United States. And it's like, I don't do that for ego. I don't do that for notoriety. I do it for me. And so if, if I can do more of that, then, you know, so be it. Dude, sweet. So we're going to pay attention Absolutely. to your IG and we're going to stay in touch and we're going to watch this happen. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Yeah. So stoked. I've already been it. watching yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Your footage is fantastic. Definitely gets me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Fuck man. Killer. Well, that was well, awesome. Shit. Thanks for joining us, Max, yeah, man. man. I mean, all that we information. Could, we're, we're like two hours in here. Like, <laughs> and we could, I feel like we could easily pull off another two hours. No problem. Talking about this kind of stuff. Hey, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Sweet. So we'll, we went to revisit this down the <laughs> We're road. We're going to have to talk, have you back on again. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like we got a ton more to talk to you about. But uh, but I think we should maybe cut this one right here. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. I think that's a good idea, guys. Really yeah. appreciate you from the side so of the much. road yes. pulling over next to what I'm sure is a fucking beautiful view. little view right there yeah. where you're sitting. Yeah, I've been watching the river go by this whole time. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, this is, uh, this is all right. Even you're more totally. inspiration to keep chatting. You're zenning out there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, man, how how do people find Max? Max. How do they find Maxwell Moral online? And, and uh, the, be- the best way is my Instagram. Uh, it's my name, Maxwell J. Moral on Instagram. Um, Maxwell at CardiffSnow.com is the email. They, they can send any questions or anything regarding splitboarding. Um and yeah, those would be the two ways. I don't really have a website. I used to, but it was ta- it was a time suck for me, so I don't really put too much time into a website anymore. Who needs one? But uh, yeah. but yeah, so those would be the two two easiest ways. And like I said, I'm always doors always open, and you know any way that I can be a helpful resource to anyone, either experienced and want to join on an expedition or someone nice. that's nice. new getting into the sport and they're like what board should i get what bindings what skins what poles you know put a kit together for me what should i get kind of thing you know um you know or whatever the whatever the questions are i'm always a resource nice so give us a give, plug your uh, plug your sponsors quickly here give us, let us know who's oh boy supporting you. uh yeah so caracorm thank you so much phantom bindings and the crew thank you so much i can't wait for the new slippers to come out uh, verts, uh, have always been from the very beginning, like the go-to snowshoe for me. So I'm super stoked. Cardiff Snowcraft, of course, my family, my brothers, uh, super stoked on how we're building that company together from the ground up. Uh, handout, Jake with handout gloves, super stoked. Um, LTD optics have been my eyeglass goggle company that has supported me. Um, I believe there is in the works for another company 
but we'll, we'll have to mention them later on or tag them somehow. And let's see, I'm gonna forget somebody. Oh, Northwave Boots. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, 32 has been so great to me. Uh, you know, they're both. I don't have a contract with a boot company, so I can ride whatever I want. There you go. Cool, so cool. until that contract comes, hint, hint. <laughs> freedom is the word. <laughs> you can't lock me down. <laughs> but uh, let's see what else. Oh, I know. I'm probably forgetting somebody. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Show notes will be fine. Cool. Much man. loved. To, much loved to everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Max. Thank you so much, Max. Yeah. You thank rock. you guys. I really appreciate this time. It's been awesome. Thank you for bringing me on the show. Anytime. We appreciate it way more than you do. All right, crack a beer for me. Will do. All right, take care. See you. Wow, Max, so much good stuff. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us from the banks of the Paiute River. As always, you can learn more about Max in the show notes. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at DarkStartsBC to find out when our next episodes are dropping and to share your killer pictures and videos. You don't want to miss our next episode where we talk with two-time Olympic gold medalist Seth Westcott. Shout out to Scott Martin of Groundswell Marketing Podcast, Ivan Hackes of the Radar One Podcast, and Pat Cornway for making all of this happen. Peace, everybody.